Merry Christmas, everyone. Good to see everyone here today. It's always a blessing to be able to gather together. If you would, grab a Bible, and for our introductory text this morning, we are going to read John, the first chapter. John, the first chapter, starting in the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. During this time of year, when we're busy with parties and shopping and gifts and getting a break from school or work, it's important that we stop and pause and meditate on the fact that the Word became flesh. It's important that we remember that God doesn't rule over us like some sort of cosmic distant dictator who's too busy and consumed with himself to get involved in the world or in our lives. God not only loves you, he not only cares for you, he not only provides you, but he loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son into this world to live as a human being, as flesh and blood. The prophets predicted that this would occur. Isaiah, the seventh chapter and the fourteenth verse says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a Greek word, or Hebrew word, excuse me, meaning God with us. And God is is with us in a very real sense today. We serve a God that is connected to us in, in the spirit, but we also serve a God that stepped out of eternity and into time. He wrapped himself in flesh and blood. Yes, God came down in the form of a man and he lived with us, just like us. He literally came and lived like we lived. The Word became flesh. The Son of God, the Creator of all things, learned to talk and learn to work, and learn to be in subjection to his parents, and to face temptation 
and he learned and experienced what it was like to die. And the reasons why this was so important, why this had to be done, can be seen all throughout the story of the birth of Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look back at the story of when the Word became flesh. When Emmanuel appeared, when Jesus Christ was born. We'll look at the Christmas story, and we're going to notice five reasons as we go through this. Why Jesus Christ, why Emmanuel, why God with us, was born 2,000 years ago. The first of those reasons was that Emmanuel came, God is with us, to make the impossible possible. Turn to Luke, the first chapter. Luke, the first chapter, starting in the 26th verse. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. About six months after Elizabeth finds out that she's pregnant with a child, Elizabeth's cousin Mary is visited by Gabriel. It was an angel sent from God. It's important to to realize a little bit about Mary. She was a young woman, probably somewhere in the, the age of 13 to 15 years old. She was engaged to be married, but the marriage had yet to be consummated, so she was a virgin. And the angel Gabriel tells her that she has found favor in the sight of God and that she will conceive a child while still a virgin, and she shall call this child Jesus. Mary questions, how, how can this be? How can this be possible? You know, I'm, I'm a virgin. How could I be pregnant? 
But the angel tells her, she says, you, you need to go see your cousin Elizabeth. God has blessed her with a child in her old age, and he will do even more miraculous things through you. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Mary would go on to realize, and we would do well to do the same, that with God, nothing is impossible. If God tells us that something is going to happen or what He can do for our lives, we need to remember that with God, nothing shall be impossible. He is the same God that created man from the dust of the ground. He's the same God that destroyed the world except eight people by a flood. He is the same God that spoke the universe into, his, into existence. He is the God that brought His Son into this world through a virgin birth. He is God. And with Him, nothing is too hard. But Mary might have looked at her life, she might have looked at her age, the circumstances of her life, and wondered, how can this be? That's, that's impossible, God. How could that happen? And we're the same way a lot of times. Sometimes we look at the obstacles in our life. We look at our past. We look at our sin. We look at our circumstances. And we don't think there's anything that we can do to fix it. And we feel lost. And the fact of the matter is, a lot of times there is nothing that we can do on our own to fix the problems in our life. And a lot of times when we try to fix these problems in our lives on our own, we mess them up and we make them even worse. But there's nothing that is too hard for the Lord. If we'll put our faith in Him and our faith leads us to follow His will, then we, He has promised to fix our broken lives. In Matthew, the 17th chapter and the 20th verse, it says, And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. And nothing shall be impossible unto you. Jesus tells the people that if they have faith, just a little faith, they can move mountains. You know, I, my family, we like to go up to the mountains. We go to Colorado fairly often. Um, and I love to spend time in nature and, and see those big mountains um, and you know what? I've never been able to talk to one of those mountains and, and tell it to get up and move. One of the Rocky Mountains has never moved at what I've said. Is that what Jesus is talking about here? I don't think so. But I do believe that our faith can move mountains. Our faith and our obedience to God's will still moves mountains. It can move the mountains of loneliness and depression by providing us with a family in Christ and a Savior that loves us. It can move the mountains of addiction by giving us a direction and purpose and something to serve in our lives other than the needle or the bottle. It can move the mountains of sickness and death by guaranteeing us a heavenly body and an eternal life in heaven. And it can move the mountains of sin and guilt by washing us and sanctifying us in the blood of the Lamb. God still moves mountains because nothing's too hard for the Lord. 
it wasn't too hard for God to bless a virgin like Mary with a child. And it isn't too hard for him to move the mountains in our lives. God is in the business of making the impossible possible. It seemed impossible for God to give a virgin a child. But God did it. And to us, it seems impossible at times for God to fix a broken sinner like me. It seems impossible that He could fix the problems in our lives. It seems impossible that He could love someone like us. But because of Emmanuel, because God is with us, God has promised us that He will make the impossible possible. The second reason that Emmanuel came was to guide us when life is turned upside down. Turn to Matthew, the first chapter, verses 18 through 25. Matthew, the first chapter, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Sometime after Mary becomes pregnant with this child, she leaves town and she spends about three months with Elizabeth. She sees what Gabriel had told her and sees that Elizabeth is pregnant when she arrives. And then Mary, after this this time, returns home. And it's probably at this point that Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. By this time, there's no hiding it. She might have been able to, to keep it private, might have been able to stay out of public eye and away from Joseph while at Elizabeth and Zacharias' house, but now she's definitely showing that she's pregnant. And and how can this happen? What are are people going to say? And I'm sure that Joseph had a plan for how things would turn out in his life. He had found this girl that he was going to spend the rest of his life with. I'm sure he had plans on how great life was going to be, how he and his wife were going to settle down and eventually have kids. They were going to be happy and have this nice little family, right? But then all of a sudden, Joseph's life is turned upside down. 
He finds out that this girl that he was engaged to marry was pregnant. He thought that she was a virgin, but now he finds out that she's pregnant. And he knows that that child is not his. And he doesn't know what he's going to do. He thinks about how he's going to handle the situation. What am I going to do? And and he decides, you know, I I don't want to make a public example of, of this girl. So he's going to break off the engagement quietly. Joseph's world is turned upside down. All of his plans have gone down the drain, and things aren't turning out the way he thought they would. Doesn't that sound like our lives sometimes? We make plans for our lives. We think that everything is going to turn out a certain way, and then something happens. We get laid off from our job. A medical diagnosis comes back a certain way. A friend or a loved one does something to hurt us or disappoint us. And all of those plans that we made, how we thought life was going to turn out, is now in chaos. Probably a lot like how this young man felt. But what did Joseph do next? An angel appears to Joseph in his sleep and he tells him what God's plan is. And to notice, look back. Again, what it said there in verse 24, it said that he did as the Lord commanded him. Joseph listened to what God told him to do. He followed the will of God, regardless of his doubts, regardless of his fears, regardless of what had happened. He did what God told him to do. And he went on to be the earthly father of Jesus. And we need to do the same when we find our lives turned upside down. When we see our lives in shambles or in chaos, when we're confounded by the circumstances of life, we need to listen to the Word of God and follow what He wants for our lives. The Word of God, Emmanuel, came to show us the way and to guide us when our lives are turned upside down. The third reason that Emmanuel, that God with us came, is so that we are never alone, even when we're rejected by those around us. Turn over to Luke, the second chapter. We'll read the first seven verses there. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We're told that 
at a very specific time in history when Serenius was governor of Syria, and this was no accident that these sort of details were given to us in the word of God, a decree went out from Caesar that everyone had to return to the city of their ancestors to be taxed. So Joseph and Mary, by this point, who was nine months pregnant, they leave Nazareth and go into Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a sleepy little town on the outskirts of Jerusalem, but it was packed with people at this time. And as Joseph and Mary are arriving into the city, it hits. The time for Mary to give birth to Jesus has come. And I'm sure that they rushed to, to try to find somewhere, to try to find someone that they, could, that they could lean to or look through for help, somewhere that they could lodge in. They needed somewhere because Jesus was coming. It was time for the birth. But they find, as it said in verse 7, no room in the inn. I'm sure that Mary was afraid because she was about to give birth and had nowhere to go. I'm sure Joseph was panicking because he didn't have a place for his wife and son that was on his way. And I'm sure that they felt incredibly alone at this point. So Jesus is born in what basically amounted to a barn. Mary wraps Jesus in swaddling clothes and lays him in a manger. You would think that the Son of God would be born in a fancy palace or in a castle, that he would have the best things, that he would have the best places, the the, the best doctors around him to, to deliver him. He would have the best to welcome him into the world. But God's ways are not our ways. And rather than a royal palace, Mary and Joseph find no room for them in the end. In the text that we opened with this morning, we saw that the Word of God came into His own and the own received him not. And from the very beginning of the life of Jesus, this was the case. And this would continue all throughout Jesus' life and all throughout his public ministry. He would teach in the synagogues, and the religious leaders would reject him and despise him. Even people in his own family doubted him and questioned him. And ultimately, he would be rejected, and he would be murdered, by the very people that should have welcomed him. Jesus was not accepted by the world around him. And he would teach his disciples that they would face the same fate. The question that we should ask ourselves today is, are we of the world? Are we just like the world around us? Do we fit in? Or are we different? And if we are different, then the world is going to reject us. If we're living the life of a Christian, the world will not accept us. We will find, like Jesus, no room at the end. And that shouldn't surprise us. It happened to Jesus. We are called to be different. 1 Peter, the second chapter and the ninth verse, talks about how we are a peculiar people. We're different from the world. And if we are, it will lead to being rejected by the world. And being rejected is an incredibly difficult thing. We want to feel accepted. We want to feel part of something. And that's natural, to 
to fe- want to feel part of something. God made us like that, to, to need to be accepted, to need to be part of something. That's, part of, that's something that God put in us. The thing is, though, that we need to look for the right thing to be part of. We need to be accepted, not by the world, but by God. We might find no room in the end of the world, but if we follow God's will, even when there is no room in the end, the Son of God will be there with us because He is Emmanuel. The fourth reason that God sent His Son, why Emmanuel came, was to bring us peace. Turn back to Luke, the second chapter. We'll pick up in the eighth verse. Luke, the second chapter, starting in the eighth verse. And there were in those days, in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which is told them concerning this child. These shepherds were out in the countryside one night. And it was probably just like a hundred other nights for them. They spent their lives on the outskirts watching over their flocks, separated from the world. Shepherds were the outcasts, the societal outcasts of this time. And this night probably wasn't much different than any other night for these men. They were watching their flocks, keeping an eye out for predators, making sure that none of their flocks strayed away or or, or was lost. Just a normal night, just like any other night. And then everything changed. Suddenly, an angel appears, and the scriptures say that the glory of the Lord was shining around them, and they were struck with fear, and they didn't know what to do. The angel tells them, don't be afraid. I've got good news, and it's not just good news for you, but it's good news for all mankind. And that good news is that today, a Savior has been born. Christ has come. And he's over there in the city of David. He's in Bethlehem. And you can go see him. He'll be the one wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The angels proclaimed the good news that men had been wanting to hear for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. The Messiah has come. Christ is here. And because of that, you don't need to be afraid. 
The shepherds look up and not only do they see the angel that had been talking to them, but they see a multitude of angels praising God. They're saying glory to God in the highest. There's now peace on earth and goodwill towards all men. This was the day that all creation had been waiting for. Ever since the the creation, God's plan for the redemption of man had been pointing towards this day, pointing towards the life of Christ. 4,000 years of human and biblical history pointed towards this day, the day that the Savior would appear on the scene. In the Garden of Eden, when God told Satan that the offspring of a woman would bruise or crush his head, we can see the first prophecy of Christ pointing towards the life of Jesus. Through the promises made to men like Noah and Abraham, through the story of the children of Israel and their bondage, through the old law, which was a shadow of good things to come, through the hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that we have, all of these things, everything in the Old Testament in one way or another was pointing towards Jesus, pointing towards God's plan for salvation, pointing towards this day that the Savior would come to earth. In fact, even before the creation, God had a plan for the salvation of man. Christ was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God knew His creation would need to be saved from their sins. And the culmination of that plan was the life and ultimately the death of Jesus. And on this day that that, that night had finally come, and the angels knew what that meant, and they praised God. They praised God that there was now the opportunity for peace on earth. Peace is something that we all want, I hope. Peace in our family, peace in our churches, peace for our country. But what kind of peace are these angels proclaiming? It certainly isn't peace from war or conflict from nations, you can turn the news on every day and you can get updates about wars that are going on in this world or conflicts or violence. So were the angels mistaken? Did they not know what they were talking about when they said there would be peace on earth? Turn to Colossians, or you can look it up there at Colossians, the first chapter, verses 20 through 22, when it says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you, that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. The peace that the angels were proclaiming was the peace that is now available between God and man. Through the life and through the death, through the blood of Jesus, there can now be peace between God and His creation. Our sin puts us in conflict with God. When we are friends of the world, we are made enemies of God. And that, my friend, is a war that you cannot win. But through Jesus Christ, we can have peace with God. The conflict that fills our minds and our hearts and our souls because of our sin can come to an end. We can have peace knowing that we are now redeemed and reconciled to God. 
And that is because on this night, Jesus was born. The Prince of Peace makes His appearance, not as a conquering king, but as a little child born to poor parents in the little town of Bethlehem. We can have peace with God, peace in our souls, a peace that passes all understanding. Because on this night, Jesus was born, because Emmanuel, because God is with us. The fifth and final reason that I want for us to notice this morning that Emmanuel came was that he came to be our king. Our final reading from the story of the the birth of Jesus will be Matthew, the second chapter. Matthew, the second chapter. We'll start in the first verse. Matthew, the second chapter, starting in the first verse. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently, what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house... They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord of the prophets, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked by the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and at all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, 
and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. And when he had heard Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet. He shall be called a Nazarene. After Jesus is born, a star appears in the sky. And some wise men from the east, from Babylon, noticed this. They knew the prophecies. They knew what the word of God said, and they knew what this signified. So they decide that they need to come and see the child that had been born, this child that would be a king. Contrary to to what you might see in the the nativity scenes or in many books, they don't arrive at the, uh, the manger that night that Jesus was born. This is most likely one to two years after Jesus is actually born. But they notice this star that appears, and at some point they make the long journey to Jerusalem. They arrive, probably with a large band of people, at Herod's palace, and they ask, where is this child that is born king of the Jews? And of course, Herod doesn't like to hear this, that there might be someone else that's here to rule. So the wise men, they they eventually find out that the, the child is born in Bethlehem, so they depart. And following this star, they arrive at the house where Mary and Joseph and Jesus are living. The wise men enter into the house. They present the family with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they fall down and they worship this child that was born a king. And all the while, Herod is plotting to get rid of this child that he sees as a threat and the wise men are smart enough that they, they don't return to Herod and tell him exactly where, <clears throat> where the, the child is at. So Herod decides eventually after he realizes that they aren't going to return, he decides that he's going to have all the children two years old and younger killed in the area. Of course, we don't know how many children and how many parents actually died in this slaughter. <clears throat> but Joseph is warmed in a dream by an angel to depart and flee into Egypt so they get out of town, uh, stay in Egypt till Herod is dead. And eventually they return to Nazareth, where Jesus would start his public ministry. And it's important for us to remember something here about these wise men. They were exactly right. This child was born. Emmanuel came to be a king. The Jews thought that the Messiah would come and rule an earthly kingdom, that he would come and that he would sit on the literal throne of David, that he would overthrow foreign oppression, that he would establish an earthly kingdom. And Jesus did come to establish a kingdom, but the kingdom he came to establish was far more powerful than any earthly kingdom would ever be. John, the 18th chapter and the 36th verse says, My kingdom is not of this world. Psalms 145 and verse 13 says that thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. Jesus Christ came and he established his kingdom. 
he established the church. And he is the head of an everlasting kingdom. That is why he was born. That's why he came. That's why he was Emmanuel, to reign as king of his kingdom. Turn to Colossians, the first chapter. This is the final reading this morning. And then we will close. Colossians, the first chapter. Colossians, the first chapter. Starting in verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Jesus Christ came to this world. He was born of a virgin, came and lived a life, and suffered a death so that he could establish his kingdom. The question for you this morning, though, is, is, is he your king? Have you submitted to your king? This time of year, we remember the birth of Christ. We remember the blessing that that is, that Jesus came and that he lived. And he laid down his life for us. And that started with his birth and ended with his death and his resurrection. And at that point, his kingdom was established. Are you a part of his kingdom? If you're not, why? Today, on this day where we think about the blessings that we have and the wonderful things that God has given us and the wonderful opportunities that we have because of Jesus, I pray that you consider and remember the blood of Jesus and consider and think about whether you have been washed in the blood of Jesus. And if you haven't, take advantage of that opportunity. Take advantage of that blessing today. Perhaps you've never done that and would like to do that this morning. Perhaps you haven't submitted submitted your life to your king and you've been living a life in rebellion to your king. And you like the prayers of the church, we'd be happy to do that for you. If there's anything we can do, please come as we stand and as we sing.